Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. I have a very special guest on the show today. And I know I say I have a special guest on every show, and every guest is special in their own way. In fact, every non-guest is special. Did you know that you are special? I am special. We're all special. But this guy is special in a very unique way. I Let me say it like this. I don't think there's a single person on earth who has had a greater spiritual impact in my life than Bert Sulevalli. Uh, many of you don't know the name Bert Sulevalli. He hasn't written any books. He hasn't um, he hasn't released any worship songs uh, that I'm aware of. Um, he is not a mega church pastor. In fact, he is a um, as you'll hear. He was a janitor for a couple of years. Uh, then he became a part time pastor. Now he's a full time pastor of evangelism at Arbor Road Church. But Bert became incredibly influential in my life when I first. About a year after I first got saved, became a Christian, and I went to Master's College. At that time, it was called Master's College. And I was assigned a room in Slight 4. Slight was the name of the dorm, and Room 4 was a dorm room that held about four or five um, students. It was kind of the old married housing, so it was kind of larger rooms. or like It was kind of like a suite, like two bedrooms and whatever. You don't care about that. But Bert was one of my roommates, and... Um, just, um, I would say one of my first and definitely my most influential, uh, mentor in my life. And, um, he was an older student. I think Bert's, let's see, he's probably about eight years older than I am, I think. So I think he was, yeah, he was like maybe 27, 28 when I was about 20, when I got to the school. So older, but still a student, but so much of the way I approach Christianity and think and, um, question things and um, think outside the box, challenge presuppositions, uh, pursue God more than theology. Um, and just there's so much about how I even think through Christianity Christianity today that's due to Bert Sulevalli. Now, as you'll hear, he's going to share a story. Man, he, yeah, he was a, well, after he, um, well, I don't want to give away too much of a story, but let's just say, after he had served as a mentor, he ended up doing jail time and became a, a drug addict. And this is the second time he kind of fell into that kind of life. And so now as a pastor, Bert has several chapters, really interesting, unpredicted chapters in his theological journey, his Christian journey that was not foreseen, would never have been predicted by people that knew him when I first met Bert. So um, we've kept in touch for the last, I mean, almost 20 years now, and ah, 20 years. And I was just like, man, I want to have you on the podcast. So um, yeah, we just have, I'm just, there was no agenda to this. I just wanted to hear people hear his story. I just wanted to reconnect with him. And and um, towards the end, please do listen to the very end, because I think towards the end is where he really speaks really practically about um, how to kind of avoid letting the work of ministry become the kind of main thing, you know? And as you'll, you'll hear, it was really doing the work of ministry, doing a lot of great work in ministry that ended up eating away at his soul. And um, sometimes the Christian stage can be the worst worst place for Christians to stand. And Bert, this is a huge part of his story. 
And um, man, I'm just excited for you to get to know my super, super, super good friend, Bert Sulavalli. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Theology Into Raw. Support the show for as little as five bucks a month. And in, in the Patreon uh, Theology Into Raw community, uh, we do once a month uh, Q&A podcasts that are released just to the Patreon uh, just to those supporters uh, through Patreon. So if you do want, if you're like, man, I would love to ask you some questions or whatever, um, I do focus my Q&A time on my Patreon community. So again, patreon.com forward slash Theology in the Raw if you want to become part of the Theology in the Raw community. Um, and all the info is in the show notes. All right, without further ado, I can't wait for you to get to know my very, very good friend and mentor, the one and only, Bert Sulevalli. All right, friends, I'm here with my uh, very good friend. Man, Bert, we go so far back. Uh, so, okay, I'm going to jump. Here's where I want to start. Um, <laughs> it was uh, Wow Week, which for the people who go to Masters University, do they still? I don't know if that's still Wow Week, but Wow Week is kind of that, 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 um, that first week of school. They take us to the beach. I was a transfer junior. I want to say I was 20 years old. And I'll never forget, we're at the beach, right? We're playing volleyball and stuff. And, and I remember all these, like, nice, clean-cut, little middle-class white Christians, you know, masters. And then, you know, we go over to the beach. And then here I see this Samoan dude standing out, looking at – you were staring out at the waves as if you owned them. <laughs> and I remember, like, who's this guy? You know, should, should, should I go – I was like, should I go witness to this guy? You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> and then we started talking, and to come to find out, you're like the chaplain at the school, and and but you, even then, like you, like when we met, like you, you didn't, um, like you just kind of stared, like you just listened and stared. You didn't really smile. You're kind of like, like who are you? who who are you? Like you got to show yourself a little bit, man. I was scared. I was like, man, this chaplain's gonna kick my butt. I think, you know. <laughs> do you have, do you have, do you have any recollection of that at all, or is that just? Bro, I- I do a little bit. I'm thinking, though, that that might have been the day that my current senior pastor, Brent Eldridge, had to rescue me from 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 drowning or from a riptide. Really? So, <laughs> yeah, because that was at uh, Zuma, right? It was at uh, – no, it was at um, in Ventura. Well, Zuma's in um, – no, it was yeah. at that park. It was at that park, and then there's kind of those oh, dunes. I see. I see. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Different year, different year. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I remember that, but but definitely uh, there was a year where where I might have been staring out at the water because I almost got pulled out. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it in your blood? I mean, Samo- you're Samoan, dude. Don't you and water? You guys just go well together. I mean, hey man, don't don't judge a book by its cover, bro. Come on, man. We we're we're beyond that, right? <laughs> I, well, I was in I was in uh we were in Tahiti um uh almost a year ago. And man, there was this dude that um, we did some kind of like snorkel tour or something. There was this guy, this Tahitian dude. I swear he could have lived underwater. This guy was the most. And he's like, but that's he just grew up like he grew up more in the water than out of the water. And he would do like this deep dive spear fishing, hold his breath for like three minutes, four minutes. I mean, this guy was crazy. But he's like, he's like, this is all I've known. You know, I mean, I grew up on an island, so. Yeah, I mean, I came, I came from Samoa when I was eleven, so yeah. and I only lived there for five years. So, um, oh okay, 
you know, the thing is, I, I didn't I didn't get those years in with my grandpa, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Man. But yeah, people on the islands tend to um, be like water world, bro. <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy. Um, yeah. Well, let, well, okay. So uh, let, let's go all the way back then. Um, well, why don't you start with your story, how you became a Christian and then your time at, at Masters. And then, I mean, your, your story, you've got many chapters to your story. Um, and I would love to unpack um, and, as many of those and, as we can it's today. It's still unfolding, bro. And it's still <laughs> unfolding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I grew up in a, in a liberal church in, in, Long, in Los Angeles. And I don't mean that like in any political sense or like for, for anyone who's listening, um, there, there are Christians that that um, don't believe in the inerrancy of the Bible, that don't believe in the authority of the Bible. Um, and I grew up in that kind of church. You know, um, it's a very mainline denomination that's tied to the Samoan people because this particular denomination is what brought the gospel out to someone in the 1820s and 30s. Um, so we're, at, my culture is new to Christianity, you know. Um, and so um, I grew up in that kind of church here in LA. It was an immigrant church. Um, all the people that planted it and built it were, were people that came over in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, you know. And so um, having grown up in that in that church culture, I, I heard all the stories, you know, but nothing was really personalized in terms of um, people people talking about this personal relationship with the God of the universe. It was more like um, there was a lot of social, um, um, like, emphasis, you know, to, to like, um, like, you know, being one with everyone and, and, and loving, accepting everyone. But the, the teaching of the scriptures weren't really um, emphasized in terms of personally. Right. Yeah. So anyways, I, I grew up in this church culture. And then um, as a teenager, man, I was I, I became a little a, a bit of a bully, you know, when I was 12, 13, because I'd been bullied my whole life, you know. And then I knocked someone through some bushes and I looked at my fists and I went, oh, crap. Like, OK, I could do this. <laughs> so 12, 13, I turned into a bully myself and I was a scrapper. And then when I was 14, 15, around that age, early high school, got jumped into a gang. Um, and we're not talking, you know, gangs that move, you know, drugs or anything like that. Just street thugs, knuckleheads, you know, getting high and drunk everywhere. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, um, um, menaces, menaces to society for sure. <laughs> um, and so that sort of became my existence, you know, throughout my teen years. Um, I don't know how I got out of high school, but they kicked me out. <laughs> they gave me a diploma and kicked me out. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, mid to late teens drinking a lot hanging out with the violent crew and doing drugs and and um you know sleeping around with girls and things like that just really steeped into all of that but yet still attending uh, still attending church you know mm -hmm. 
like mom, mom, mom was a single mom and she wasn't going to have a kid that lived in her house mm-hmm. and not go to church, you know? Yeah. So, um, when I was growing up, my mom would, I mean, I would come home stinking drunk at 4 a.m., 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning and she'll come into my room or whatever part of the house I was sleeping at the time and grab me by my hair. I used to have hair. Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't picture that. <laughs> and she'd grab me by my hair and say, um, get up and get ready for church, you know, and <laughs> I would comply, you know, because um was raised in a, in a culture where we respect our, our elders, you know, mm-hmm. we respect the people um, that raised us, our grandparents, older people. So I would get up. I mean, I, I'd be mumbling and, you know, pissed, you know, that I'm hungover, but had to go sit in the choir, man, and, and sing. So <laughs> I had sort of this, like, um, dual sort of life, you know, where we're just living in the streets, you know, wreaking havoc, and yet going to church every Saturday, Sunday, Saturday for choir practice and youth group stuff, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> every Sunday, and then um, and then just go through the cycle again. And... Um, And then, you know, my grandmother came to live with us when I was 19. And uh, grandma, grandma um, was a was a believer and follower of Jesus. Um, But she was also crippled at the time. Um, And so grandma would just sit on the floor in the living room and just read her Bible. And I often would come home after those nights of partying. And grandma, you know, there would be a lamp on in the living room and grandma would be on the floor hmm. reading her Bible, you know, just sitting cross-legged um, like us tribal people do and just just be reading her Bible. And I would sneak in and go and like, oh, man, grandma's up. Oh, crap. You know, so I'm sitting in the kitchen, you know, trying to remove my shoes or whatever. And I'd hear grandma say, um, um, is that you? Bert, are you home? And I, I would say, yeah. Yeah, Grandma. All right. Well, get something to eat and go go to sleep, you know. I mean, she knew I was up to no good. <laughs> she she knew I was up to no good. But she was always gracious and kind and like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think for the first time in my life, I actually encountered someone who said they loved Jesus, mm-hmm. but but wasn't like caught up in all the behavioral you know, um, and all the morality and all that, but really was kind and, and patient. Sorry, there's an airplane passing overhead. Um, kind and patient and loving me even cared that, that she knows I was out drinking, but she'd actually make sure I got something to eat, you know? (laughs) So anyways, that that was my experience from 19 until I was like 21. Mm -hmm. Um, and then um, mom moved away and started living with some other cousins in Seattle. Grandma, grandma moved away, started living with other cousins in Seattle. And um, by that time, um, I had I had people in, in the gang come to know Christ mm. and they would show up at all our drinking parties on the weekends. And man, like talk about, you know, um, with, you know, witnesses just mm. talking to us about Jesus and telling us about the experience that they've gone through. Um, then people in my church started coming to know Christ. 
especially the Sunday school workers and people in the youth ministry. And then suddenly I just started getting bombarded with the message and I never really knew Hmm. there was a message that, that required a response, you know? Mm but I began to hear that, and so at the age of 22, man, I'm at I'm at this I'm at this outreach thing where all the gangs in the neighborhood were showing up to because it was an outreach to the to the young people in the neighborhood. Um, and that night, I just heard the gospel in a very convicting but not condemning way. You know, convicting my heart about about an eternity separated from God, you know? And it wasn't even about, like, the... It wasn't so much about the behaviors or the morality or anything like that. It was it was literally the gospel of... Um, could you... W- would you... Would you step into eternity, you know, without being reconciled to the creator of it all hmm. and, and the one who loves you and the one who sent his son and, you know... And so that that message, I, I received that message, believed in it, and gave my life. Um, and this will this will come into play for the first time <laughs> to to the Lord when I was about twenty two. Okay. And um, four years after that, man, I show up at Masters, um, <laughs> thinking God's calling on me is to be like this, you know, big expository theologian preacher. Like, like the man, you know, the man who's associated with the school we went to. Um, and, you know, that was, I showed up thinking, well, I want to be kind of like John MacArthur and mm-hmm. know the Bible and learn the Bible and preach the Bible. Um, but, I, but I'll just put a little bit of uh, oomph into it that John doesn't give it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, uh, and we need this kind of teaching in the hood, you know. That so so that's how I ended up at Masters. Um, when when did you first notice it, that you had this kind of preaching gift? Because when I first heard you preach, I'm like, dude, this twenty something year old. I mean, you, you I wouldn't say kid. I mean, you were older than we were, but you were still a student. You were a student. But I remember hearing you preach. And I'm like, this guy's like as good a preacher as anybody I've ever heard. Like, was that when your teen years or anything, or was it shortly after you got the yeah. Masters? Or yeah, thanks, Pete. Uh, so my my that that church um, event that I told you I went to and gave my life to Christ, mm-hmm. that was hosted at my mother's brother's church, and my mother's brother is from the Assembly of God Pentecostal tradition. Uh, okay, and um, he he was my first discipler, but I mean he didn't disciple me in preaching. I just happened to watch him a lot, okay. you know. Yeah, and um. The way I remember him being described by by other Christians that that have been walking with the Lord longer than me was like he had this he was a machine gun evangelist. He was like this, you know, he had he had this I'm like he was going to mow you down like he's, like he's, you know, like he's uh, in a in a uh, I don't know if I could say this. I'll say it. In a firing squad, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? We have like, machine gun evangelists here in, in Idaho, but it's more literal. <laughs> they actually have machine guns. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, he. I, I would say he was the personal influence. Okay. Of, of like, the just the dynamics. Um, and then, and then reading and listening to John MacArthur was, was, 
was the part that I wanted to learn, mm-hmm. which which is the scripture, you know. And um, yeah, but but I feel like um, maybe that's even part ingrained in my culture be, because um, the Samoans are, are very passionate people, mm-hmm. um, very, you know, you learn how to sing and dance from, while you're learning how to talk and walk, yeah. you know. Um, I remember at Masters someone saying, man, dang, man, you and your brother are good singers, man. We looked at each other and went, um, we didn't feel like we were great singers at all. We just felt like we were Samoans. Yeah. <laughs> like me and Siona literally said to someone, uh, you should hear our whole family. Like we're, <laughs> we're nothing. <laughs> well, when, when, when we were in Samoa those two summers, yeah, every church you went to, music was not like a sub part of the service, you know, kind of get you warmed up for the main message. It was like right. everything, music was just in so ingrained in the culture and it was all just off the chart. Totally. Like you said, like nobody didn't sing and, and they all sang amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. So even, even that part being a culture that entertains, I, I won't be afraid of saying that being a culture that entertains, yeah. It it was it was always easy for me personally. I mean, there's some Samoans that that you know don't take to the stage easily, but it was easy for me to be in front. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, it it wasn't because I was also a musician. You know, like um, sorry about that. Yeah. I was also a musician. You know, um, and you know that's another part of my yeah. story that intertwined in the whole deal is that um. I always wanted to be a musical artist. You know, I wrote a lot. I wrote a lot of poetry. I wrote a lot of raps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, me and my me and my friends tried to start a rap group. We tried to start a band. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> um, but we drank too many forties. <laughs> <laughs> those those people that actually make it just talk about drinking forties. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, let let I want I want to drill down into. Let's just say you're you're at Masters. You're a chaplain. You're known as being kind of the spiritual one of, if not the spiritual leader on campus. You're the best singer, best preacher. Like, what can can you go back to that time in your heart and your mind? Like, because that 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 began kind of a right a journey that kind of took you into more darker places, right? I mean, like so much in a sense of tension and doing great. I mean, this is part of. Like my, our journey together is e- even as you started to wrestle with stuff that took you to darker places, you were still shaping people, including me. I mean, I, I've said I, I probably I haven't recorded the intro yet, but I mean, I'll probably say something like, I mean, you have had more of a spiritual impact in my life than any single person, and it was during a time when you, it, it was you know you, you were going through stuff. You know, um, it, what was it like being like just filled with all this just spiritual stage celebrity kind of attention in your world? I mean, man, um, man, P. Uh, where where do I start? I mean, I I think part of it was really um, being being recognized by one of our one of our I I dare to say one of our idols. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I remember the weekend um, that I graduated from from college is basically the weekend that I met John MacArthur. Hmm. Oh, no, 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 no. Two years before that, at a graduation, I met John MacArthur. Mm-hmm. You know, that was before my first year of being a chaplain. And um, 
I was sitting back there and he just was was standing by the entrance of the gym, you know, because our chapel was in a gym. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I'm looking to my right and like, oh, oh man, John MacArthur's standing next to me, you know. <laughs> and and we, we, you know, we just, you know, shared uh, nice things, you know. <laughs> He's like, how you doing? I turned around. I, I said, hi, Dr. MacArthur, you know, shook his hand and um, and uh, just it was a quick exchange. And then um, and then um, he started hearing me singing in in the chorale. Mm -hmm. And through that, he had invited me to sing at their church um, after the chorale sang Christmas, like a Christmas pageant at their church. And it was during that time that he began to hear my my story, mm -hmm. part of what I already shared. And um, one day he, he just said to me, hey, I don't know what your plans are after college, but I just want you to know that um, Patricia and I believe in your gift and we want to invest in it no matter what you do after college. And that just began, I think, hmm. this little seedling of, Hmm. I'm, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Yeah. And, and literally, man, I want a wood pulpit that comes out of the floor like you, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to get there. And, 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 and so I think the other part of the journey was junior, senior, junior, senior year at masters. Um, you know, I, I lost track of why I was there. Hmm. I lost track of this is a seminal stage. I need to spend time learning because after all, I, I came as a non-traditional student. And so I was a little older than, than the rest. Actually not a little, I was older by eight years than a traditional student. I started at masters when I was 26. Mm -hmm. right. And um, I think what I just, I just got lost in the whole chaplaincy. I started doing a lot of ministry and forgetting that I was there to be a student, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I got involved at Church of the Canyons, mm -hmm. you know. And then and then I got involved in training uh, guys over there. And then I got involved in missions over there, leading worship. And what happened was uh, my plate just started getting more and more full, mm -hmm. and I just lost sight of. The reality is I lost sight of abiding, you know, abiding in Christ. You know, I, I began I began to exchange all the good stuff for the best, mm. um, which which Jesus says to Martha in Luke 10 is is what Mary chose, which is sitting at his feet and listening mm. um, rather than being busy about the work. Right. Yeah. So and it's, it's I've learned that man over over the years. It's usually the good stuff that you put in front of Christ that, that really messes you up um, because because there's nothing telling you you shouldn't be doing this stuff, you know, or, or that, you know, maybe this is not the right time. Maybe someone else can do it. But you're, there's always a sense of um, like like you had mentioned, well, no one can sing like me. <laughs> so I'm going to say yes. No one can preach like me. So I'm going to say yes. No one can disciple like, you know, so like I was, yeah. it was all in my head that I started began, I started believing 
my own press about myself, you know, that I was, that I was pretty impressive. That I was pretty badass, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and begin, I, I just lost sight of why I was at school. And then I lost sight of my relationship with Christ as the primary place, um, from which everything is else flows, you know? So, so, um, I just, I just got big headed and arrogant and full of myself, you know? Um, I also think, man, like just, I don't think processing through difficult, um, topics is, is a problem, Mm -hmm. but I think when you're sort of in the echo chamber and, and you're in, you're really enjoying like pontificating and solving the world's theological issues with other 20 something year olds, you know? You, you tend to you tend to just let this thing grow, you know, until yeah. it's topple over, you know. And um, so, yeah, man, um, it became it became a situation where I was just busy doing a lot for the Lord, mm-hmm. um, but not really like hanging out with him, you know, not hanging out with him. The the reason for it all, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I, when I say hang out, man, I'm not even talking about, you know, I spend 20 minutes reading the Bible, you know, <laughs> then I then I pray for an hour. You know what I mean? That's not even what I'm talking about. What what I've learned over the years is like this, this abiding, this abiding in Christ, man. It's, man, it's, you, I I believe I can abide in Christ while I'm while I'm driving, while I'm moving, while I'm, you know, this just this constant connection with the Lord, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things, um, I forget the exact verse, but near the end of John chapter 11, mm-hmm. when Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he says something to the, he prays a quick prayer to the father. He goes, father, I know you always hear me, hmm. but it's for the sake of these that I'm going to literally, I mean, it's for the sake of these that I'm going to say this out loud. Interesting. I never noticed that. Wow. It's for the sake of these ones around here that I'm going to say this out loud. So, like, there, there's a glimpse into, yeah, Jesus went away. Mm-hmm. We don't really know what he did when he went away. You know, we just know that he went away. <laughs> he might have gone up to the hills and just knocked out, bro. <laughs> you know, or he yeah. might have gone up to the hills and let angels or birds minister to him. We don't know. We, but we know he went away, and and the thing is, contemporary Christianity all, like forces this this spiritual discipline on us that we have to put a time and place together mm-hmm. to get away and read our Bible and pray to the Father, you know. Mm-hmm. But Jesus says in John eleven, I know you always hear me, mm-hmm. and Paul says, pray without ceasing, mm-hmm. and in Romans eight twenty six, I think. If you don't know how to pray, the Spirit's praying for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hebrews 7.25 says, when you do know how to pray, Jesus is praying for you. <laughs> <laughs> so how can you fail at connecting, you know? <laughs> so it's all like that that abiding experience is so multifaceted, so multilayered, so Trinitarian in a sense. Like you said, you got Spirit, you got the Son, you, the Father always hears you. Um, yeah. Wow. And, and and so I lost I lost sight of that, which I never even really had, hmm. you know, I never even really had that. 
I, I had disciplines and I had spiritual disciplines and I think spiritual disciplines are good and they can be helpful. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't think they're they're the way necessarily to measure mm-hmm. anything, really. I think the fruit is the only measure. And, and even that measure, I mean, when when there's bad fruit, the Lord just prunes, mm-hmm. you know? Isn't so, it like if there's bad fruit, you ain't a you ain't a Christian. You know? <laughs> so you 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 were saying it wasn't just because I mean it seems clear that like doing stuff for the Lord, doing ministry became your kind of primary identity. But you're saying even on top of that, you even had spiritual disciplines, but even kind of those became not heartfelt. Right. Or how would you is that the best way to describe it? Or um... Yeah, there, it was it was disconnected from from any kind of abiding. Mm. Part of it too was being in school, right? I mean, we're always told by our professors, um, do do your work. Some professors tell us do it, do it, do your work in a devotional way. Yeah. Some professors tell us, don't exchange your schoolwork with devotions. You know, <laughs> right? So <laughs> so we have one professor that says. Do your schoolwork in a devotional way, and you have another set of professors that tell us to not exchange yeah. your devotion time, you know, for, for your for your schoolwork. And so you have a bunch of confused twenty-something-year-olds <laughs> who are trying to figure it all out, you know. And I and I think I was definitely one of those who went, "All right, I'm going to make everything devotional mm. and do no devotion at all." Because okay. after all, isn't all of life worship? Yeah. <laughs> that, those are the kinds of things I was justifying my activity, you know. Like I'm worshiping the Lord by doing this. Yeah. I'm worshiping the Lord by doing this. So who's got time? I mean, I never said it with my va- mouth, but definitely with my actions. I'm, I'm literally going, who's got time, you know, to read their Bible by their lamp at 5 a.m., you yeah. know. <laughs> sleep to catch up on. <laughs> so <clears throat> this next chapter then of, of your life. So this start all this kind of started to catch up with you and then um yeah, talk to us about that. Cause I think that's especially for Christian leaders hearing this. I mean, I I if they, if people are honest, I think most Christian leaders listening can resonate with at least part of what you're saying, if not a lot more than just part of what you're saying. Talk to us about yeah. this next chapter. What 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 ended up happening? Oh man, well, um, <clears throat> as you know, because you were part of our circle of friends, yeah. you know, people people that did ministry together at Church of the Canyons. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, so I'd become right after graduating from Master's College, I'd become um, the worship pastor at Church of the Canyons. You know, mm-hmm. and over the next course, the, the next year or so, we began to build a worship ministry there that um, was pretty cool and it evolved. Mm-hmm. Most of the people were my friends, you know, uh, Sam and Janine, Javier, um, you know, uh, just just all, all of my friends. Brad Brock was our elder and um, Tony Kawaguchi. You know, we just started building this this band. And I and I think um, not I don't think. But in the context of that, um, some some of my flaws began to present themselves in a real ugly way, you know, um, and I just, I look at those things that happened, like had to happen because, you know, sometimes the, the Lord, you know, being, being providential and sovereign over all things, 
um, he, he, he allows us to go a certain path mm-hmm. for our own good, which is kind of crazy to think about, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes he, he holds back, right? He, he prevents us. Um, but when, when I look back, I really, I really believe that it was allowed so that I could get to this place where I'm looking at my heart, you know? Um, because at this point I'm just looking at this, this, the results, right. Mm-hmm. Or, or the things that are, that I think are spiritual results. Um, and so, um, impatience and anger came into play, um, with, uh, I think I became very task oriented. I became that, um, really unpleasant Christian leader to be around. You know, um, and if I told you some of the stories, it would it would be funny because I, you know, I think I forgot these were my friends, you know, mm. like this is a this is a gang of people that were hanging out at Janine's apartment the night before. You know, yeah. you see what I'm saying? So so I show up at 7 a.m. and I'm like, man, why are you guys laying on the stage? You know, we church is in an hour and a half. You know? <laughs> Like, wow, were you were we just hanging out last night? <laughs> now you're scolding right. us, yeah. yeah. Right, and and then scolding became something I did often with that group, and it's crazy, man. It's so unthinkable, P. Um, and 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 then and then there was a big blow up, a bigger blow up that happened after after another event. Um. And that's when I think um, the elders, I mean, I knew there was an issue. I mean, geez, I wanted to kick my keyboard's ass, you know, <laughs> keyboard player's ass for accusing me of, of something that mm. I thought, you know, was completely untrue. Um, mm. There was something that Spurgeon says. I mean, whatever it is people are saying about you, <laughs> you're probably worse than that, you know? <laughs> You, you know, you, you're most you're you're most likely worse than that. You know, uh-huh. and and in that moment of I just got sensitive. You know, uh, um, for being called lazy, hmm. and and so if you could imagine, here I'm doing 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 doing. My identity is found in doing, and then someone says you're lazy. Mm. Oh yeah. You know, and I have, I have a job at the church, you know, where I'm working 60 hours, but I'm a part-time employee. I go to seminary, you know, I'm carrying 13 hours, not doing great. Got to read all these books. I'm working, I'm working, um, graveyard shift at the guard shack at the, at, at masters, you know? So, so like my identity is in doing, 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 working hard, working hard, working hard, working hard. Mm -hmm. And someone says, I think all of this fell apart because you're lazy. Wow. Bro. Yeah. And you know what? I I could take it now if I sat and thought and breathed, you know? Yeah. But in that moment, man, I just snapped. And, bro, we were in the prayer room of all places. You know what I'm saying? And the elders were having their meeting upstairs. And so if you remember the lay of Church of the Canyons, mm-hmm. it's just this big empty space. The elders are upstairs having a meeting. And they literally could hear me ripping through the worship team. Wow. And so 
you know, one thing led to another and, and about, they didn't immediately get rid of me, which I appreciate, you know, mm-hmm. they were, they worked with me for about a year, you know, um, had me meeting on it on a weekly basis with one of the elders for accountability, mm-hmm. had me going through some books. Um, and just, but the thing is my, my stuff needed professional therapy. I'm not even gonna lie, mm-hmm. you know, because it stems and, and I'm not blaming anyone. My sin is my sin. But I think understanding ourselves and our old man is so important mm-hmm. um, to to learning um, like like how the particular bomb of of God's word and and the power of His Spirit should be applied. I mean, all those broken places, bringing them bringing them specifically to the Lord. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's valuable. Um, I don't think that has anything to do with standing, but I believe that has to do with um transformation you know and and so um they were they were helping me out for about a year and then and then a year later another incident happened it didn't have to do with anger it had to do with money management (laughs) (laughs) and and it was just obvious that the lord was like this was his path for me because i needed to see this Mm -hmm. I needed to see my heart, you know, so got in a car accident without insurance, without my red, you know, my car wasn't registered. My license was expired. <laughs> All this crazy stuff. I mean, like, come on, man, I'm from the hood, man. <laughs> like, like I, I wasn't paying attention to things, you know, the details like, oh, cr- crap, my license expired. I need to go to the DMV, you know, like I'm just doing, doing, doing. You see what yeah. I'm saying? And so I get in this car accident. I talked to Pastor Bob, and um, that was sort of the beginning of removal from ministry. Um, was I, th- I think the feeling was we've been helping you working through some anger stuff, now some stewardship stuff, and some some you know financial discipline. And I think the elders just were like, man. I think I think it's time to set you to the side, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it was done publicly, and obviously I hadn't been connecting with Jesus for for a couple of years, you know, in in the realest realest um, sense. And so my reaction to being removed publicly was mayhem. Maybe not publicly, but in my heart. I was angry. I was bitter. I was pissed, you know. Um, And so that took me down a road of backsliding, if I could use that in this case, um, in a way that I had not expected, but that I understand now to be my sin, my old man, you know, unchecked. And I just walked away from church for about nine years. Wow. Um, a couple of years after I walked away from Church of the Canyons, pissed off at the world. Pissed. They owe me. They shouldn't have done that to me, that kind of mindset. Um, I I went right back into the stuff I was into before I started walking with Christ. And it, and it was worse really? because this time it involved um, heavy, heavy drug use. Mm-hmm. Um, I was addicted to meth for nine years, wow. and um, 
I was hanging around all the biggest movers in my cult, in my community, you know. Um, I was smoking meth out of a pipe six days out of the week, you know, that. And, and it was just ugly because I was self-medicated. I was pissed. I was pissed. Like literally that one event um, threw my life for a tailspin. But I mean, the event didn't do that. I, mean, I was I was the one who was enraged. And, and so even more, this anger started playing itself out. And um, that's why I look at those years with like, I, I don't believe it could have happened any other way. You know what I mean? I really, I really believe that that was necessary. You know, for me to for me to see um, the error of my way, you know, the error of my way. So like all the preaching and all the leading of worship, you know, and 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 all the discipling. I mean, you can you can do that stuff and completely be just disconnected from Jesus, you know. Um, and, or you could be connected to Jesus and get to do that stuff or not have to do that stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, that's the journey I'm on now. And, um, 2011, I got arrested, um, in Orange County, California, and I spent a year in jail, um, on a drug trafficking and possession charge. Um, and it was in there that I had repented mm-hmm. and, you know, gave my life to the Lord again. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, that was like nine years after nine years of rebellion, man, you know? And, and so like when I, when I think of the prodigal son story, man, that's my story, man, because I was home and everything was cool. Mm-hmm. But for some reason I wanted to rule, you know? I mean, I know the reason. It's because of my sinfulness. You know, that's the thing about sin is it's so subtle and it gets you to think and believe things that um, are are not glorifying to God, but not good for you either. You know, um, did you feel so just, did you feel guilt during those nine years? I mean, here you have, you know, Bible college degree almost done a seminary, all this ministry experience, like, did you just compartmentalize all that or did you renounce it? Or did you deep down feel kind of guilty? Like, I know this is wrong or yeah. How, how did you process your faith during those nine years? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I, I've actually, so this is for our audience. I mean, cause we, I remember, so I, w- I, w- I left seminary right when you started, I think it was right. You had that blowout. I remember that, and then the, your car accident. I think I was yep. just on my way to Scotland, so I was over there for three years and in Ohio for two years. Like yeah. it was, so I was, I, you know, elsewhere. And I kept hearing Bert is gone. People can't even get a hold of you. Our mutual friend Vince, your best friend. I mean, like Vince is like, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. I I think he was the only person that you would return like one out of every ten calls or something. And so I'm like, dude, what, what happened? You know, and then. It was when I was back in California when people were like, hey, I think Bert's yeah. back, you know, which was um, – so I don't even – that whole – like I know hardly anything about those nine years, you know? Yeah, I mean I think it was one of those situations where like um, 
the prophet. I was running from <laughs> I was I was running from Jezebel, you know. <laughs> like I was ashamed. I was scared. I was like huh. a lot of it was shame. Okay. Um because of the first several contacts, you know. When when people first started hearing what was going on mm. with me, um I was bombarded with phone calls that were and and letters and letters from brothers that I love to this day and that have been reconciled with, um, confronting me of every sin from getting a girl pregnant to, you know, like, because it was unknown at the seminary as to why I left the ministry and dropped out of seminary, you know, and I, and I get that. So, so left unknown people, people started accusing me of things that they were suspecting, but a lot of it was completely untrue. And so I began I began to hate that culture. Hmm. I began to really hate the conservative fundamentalist, you know, um, you know, hmm. suit and tie wearing, big Bible carrying. I began to hate that culture. And so I never renounced my faith in Jesus hmm. in in any like um and you know, that's not any kind of merit that I want to pat my back over, you know, hmm. because I do believe that most people would say, yeah, but you renounced them by your, your actions, you know, mm-hmm. I, I get that part and I own that part. Um, mm-hmm. But with my heart and my mouth, I never, I never said Jesus is a fraud. You know, I never said the Bible is unreal. Okay. In fact, when, when one of the things I got into during those years was um, I began to songwrite and, and produce in a music studio with, with a team of, of guys that were just trying to start a record label locally, you know. Music is one of my loves. And I always had a Bible in the studio, you know. Hmm. But the funny thing is I never read it. Like, I never read it while I was at it. But artists would come and say, hey, you like reading the Bible? And I would go, yeah. I mean, I've, I've studied it, you know. And then then I would sit there and have 30, 40-minute powwows, you know, about Christianity and our faith. Um, but as to connecting to the corporate, um, church, mm-hmm. I, at the time had no interest, you know, um, and everywhere I went, every time I went to a church service, if there's a, even an inkling of something that was off, according to me, mm-hmm. I'd get up and walk out, you know, so I was completely disconnected from the spirit. I, I believe I was grieving him tremendously. Um, and so that just sort of became a pattern for me for nine years. But I remember like the first time someone asked me um, a question, you know, about the Bible, you know what I mean? I had a dry erase board in the studio and um, and he he was just talking about how he couldn't believe that Jesus was God incarnate mm-hmm. and came down, you know, and I just knew like, Oh, let's go to Philippians too. So I grabbed <laughs> a dry erase. I grabbed a dry erase marker and I just drew this diagram, you know, and, and these cats, man, I mean, these are gangster rappers sitting in the studio and they're literally going, dang, bro. Like that's, that's, that's cool, man. Like I never even understood that stuff yeah. like that, you know? And um, like most Samoans, just like me, yeah, they they grew up in the church, you know. Um, so like there was a there was a love for what I did know, 
but there was no disdain for it. I, or nor was there a guilty feeling. I just felt like, really, I felt like what most of those brothers were telling you that that part of my life was dead. Mm. You know, mm. that it was never going to be resurrected. Um, that I still believe in Jesus, but I hate his bride. <laughs> <laughs> which is you know today these days i go um jesus you know if jesus was a good man like most you know like like if you can be a good man right i'm not i'm not talking about standing before god but most good men would go look at you and and think you're crazy man i like hanging out with you but i hate your wife you know <laughs> like if i said that to you Preston, man you'd be like man get get off the call man get out of here you know you know what i mean like yeah the one you you adore and cherish the most is being criticized, you know, like it was just I was disconnected, man. And 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 all of those pieces that Augustine talks about, you know, the the shattered shard can only come back together in you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of the way I existed for a little while. So in 2011 um, in jail, you have kind of another. And I don't want to – it's I'm just not really interested in theologizing it, you know, but like you had a kind of a really renewed perspective on Christianity and the specifically I think – and I don't want to put – I'm kind of trying to set you up here, but would love to he- hear your thoughts. I mean, a renewed perspective on the relationship between your faith and your gifts in a sense. Um, I remember hearing from you shortly after that we connected and you're like, yeah. man, I don't, I don't need to ever – step on stage again. I'll clean toilets. I'll do whatever. I just want to serve the Lord. And I've, I've never, I, you know, that was really new for, for me to hear that, you know? Um, and it really seemed to be like, man, I, this seems legit. Cause there were some questions from people like, well, can't trust Bert, you know, is he back or whatever? And it's like, well, is he really, you know? And, and, um, when I heard that, I was like, man, I think, I think Bert's back. <laughs> Cause that, that, that would just yeah. seem like such <clears throat> a different, a, a different, a different kind of humility because in the past you, you can kind of have a humble persona like we all can like we could all especially if you've been in a church for all you can put on a pretty good humble show this just there was something different about your perspective after 2011 that was like man this this is this this is real um yeah yeah man um i think part of it was was applying truth to life you know like, here, here's the funny thing. I feel like I got a seminary education scrubbing toilets, mm. you know, <laughs> because, bro, when they tell you during the summer, OK, it's deep cleaning time and they hand you these steel brushes <laughs> and you have to scrub the watermarks off of the bottom end of the toilet rim, you know. Wait, wait was this in jail or in church? Because you got hired no, on in church. Oh, in OK. Church. Yeah. So you literally got, got hired, hired on as a, as the janitor, or as a janitor. yeah, because I had two felonies and and I couldn't find work. And I learned when I was so like one of the things I learned when I was in jail is most of these men repeat offend because they can't find work with a yeah. with a felony on their jacket, you know. And so like while I was in there, I was I wasn't only reconnecting with the Lord, but like like gathering just my own education about you know, the situation people are in, you know, and, um, I'm learning things like, you know, people's, I I learned later that these are all true, but people's growth is stunted by, um, you know, heavy drug use 
at the age that they started using heavily, you know. So so that's the reason why I never became a thief or, a, you know, or chased after other men's women because I was already a grown up when I started using meth, hmm. you know. Um, mo- most people who started using meth around their teen years, they might be 50 or 60 years old, but they're stuck in that. They're stuck in that adolescent frame of mind, you know. But um, most of them couldn't find work, you know, and I'm learning these stories while I'm in there. So one of the things I told Brent Elders, my current senior pastor, is, hey, when I get out, I I really need a job. So four days after I got out, I was working at the church as a janitor. And so um, that was right around the time we reconnected. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so... Um, just, you know, having a spring clean, <laughs> you're sitting there and going like, man, this is this is like me making an effort to clean my own act up. You know, huh. like this toilet bowl is never going to look like it was when it was brand new. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so I started I started applying theology to my job, like cleaning and mopping and <laughs> and doing all this stuff. And, and then and then I'm learning on another level that um I need Jesus so much, you know, and and that I was in a church where no one knew me, mm-hmm. no one knew about my gifts, you know, except Brent and a couple of pastors on staff. Um, and so I, I was I was I was content. Mm-hmm. I was content in that posture for, for, you know, for those two years that I was janitor, um, primarily because um I was connected to the Lord, you know, I was, you know, even, even in the drug scene, man, I was, I was the, the life of the party, you know what I mean? So the Lord just put me in jail. He isolated me, although I was still around 140 other men every night, you know, in your own bunk, it's like you're alone. You know what I mean? It, these aren't my friends. You know what I mean? I can make friends, but the reality is they're not really my friends. Um, and so a lot of lonely nights in there, just thinking and praying and reading and, and processing through stuff. A lot of lonely hours working as a janitor when I got out. Mm-hmm. And um, my my perspective had changed. And um, and it, it really hasn't changed from that, although I still I still struggle. I mean, when I got married. And my wife had to call me out a lot of times about, you know, um, you know, like a frown because I'm not on the preaching schedule. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, um, uh, you know, so so now that I have my wife, my helper, I'm like, I I, someone someone can call me out on my stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I'm sure I'm sure the little I know, Lee, I'm (laughs) She seems like somebody who's willing to call you out in your stuff. <laughs> yeah, and and so I, you know, I began to just, man, like how how is it possible that we read this stuff? You know, who, he who wants to lead must be the servant of all. He who wants to be the master must be the servant of all. How do we read that stuff and just gloss over it? Mm-hmm. And then like all of a sudden, the we consider the leaders in the church the ones that are up there making power moves, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, One of my favorite books in the last two years was 
um, the way of the dragon, the way of the lamb, yeah. the way of the lamb, the yeah. way of the dragon. Yeah. And, and started really looking at like the power trip that evangelicalism is on, you know? And, um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to educate anyone. I'm just saying like in my own, in my own mind, in my own heart, I see all of that stuff. And I go, oh, Jesus, I need you so much because I don't I don't want to use um, human means as a way to measure our success as a ministry, you know, and that's hard as the guy who oversees missions and evangelism and outreach, you know, because everyone wants to hear numbers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, uh, but, you know, I, I'm thankful for a, a board of elders that are like, we don't need you to focus on numbers. We, we just want you to train people to love the lost, to share the gospel, you know, yeah. to, and, and to prepare people for the mission field. And so um, I'm thankful for that good group of guys, man, over at our church. We got to wrap things up here in just another minute. Um, fi- final words to a Christian leader who may, again, be kind of feeling what what you're saying, you know, maybe they're wrapped up in the the church industrial complex as one of my friends puts it, you know, just that, (laughs) (laughs) just that, 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 that endless grunt of the ministry routine. Then you throw in some success and that can be sometimes the worst thing for somebody who, whose heart might be disconnected from Jesus. What what, what do you want to say to that person right now? Oh man. I would I would say to make um, and I, I I don't want to be misunderstood, you know. So like when I say make, I don't I don't want it to sound like you're gonna do something, you know. Um, but I'm saying prioritize um, abiding. Prioritize abiding in Christ. Um, and and the thing is. You know, that word priority is an interesting word, right? It, it's, it should be what's the, only, what's the only thing that matters. But Americans have made it into a list of things, right? <laughs> if, you know, someone, someone shared that in the pulpit and I went, oh, man. That's true. Because it's true. Wow. Like the word priority means the, the number one thing. It's not a list. Huh. It shouldn't be a list. But we <laughs> Americans have created it. Oh, this is my list of priorities. It's you like know. the first thing you do among many others rather than the only or primary right. or ultimate thing. I already means yeah. the only thing, yeah. you know, uh, you know, the, that, um, anyways, I think the only thing that matters, mm. Jesus says, it. he says it to Martha. Mm-hmm. The only thing that matters is what Mary chose. And, and that's to sit at my feet and listen, you know, that's good. um, and, and I think from there flow everything else, mm. um, ministry opportunities, fruit, service. Mm-hmm. Because, again, how, how can we say um, love your neighbor and just walk by people? That, that's one of the things is like I even, I even wonder how can people say we lift your hands while they're singing and not lift their hands? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so hum, as a human being, what we've done is we've created these contexts where we actually say things that we don't do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we say, we, Jesus says, 
to care for the poor. You say, oh, we believe in what Jesus teaches us. Mm-hmm. But we drive right by the person that's, that's mm-hmm. you know, sitting on the sidewalk right outside our driveway mm-hmm. at church. You know. But so, so I, I, oh, I was going to I know you got to run and I got to run. Um, but, man, I, I have so many thoughts. I wanted to <laughs> keep going. But, man, I just uh, thank you for sharing your story, man. I just love hearing your honesty and it's just, I mean, you're, I love the fact that you're willing to be vulnerable, you know? I mean, you're sharing a lot of stuff that not easy for people to share, you know, and, and just to be able to admit where you've gone wrong and, and learn from that. And I love how you talk, you, I love hearing about you talk about your two years as a janitor. It's kind of the, some of the sweetest times in your Christian journey, you know? Totally, man. Just totally inverted the whole thing. Because, I mean, a lot of people, it's like, no, my sweetest times are on stage or the success or our church was booming. But at the end of the day, man, that can... That can be good. Um, that can be great, but it can also eat your soul from from the inside oh, out. You know. So yeah, yeah. Thank you for your faithfulness, bro. Uh, it's great catching up. Uh, Thanks thank for you, coming man. on the Thanks show. Thanks for inviting me to yeah to be raw. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, man. All right, bro.